Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. Our scripture passage this morning is from Luke chapter 13. I'm reading verses 10 to 21, and I am using the voice translation this morning. Around this time, and I'll explain that in a few minutes, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath. It was the Jewish day of rest, the Sabbath. A woman there had been sick for 18 years. She was weak, hunched over, and unable to stand straight. Jesus placed his hands on her, and suddenly she could stand straight again. She started praising God, but... The synagogue official was indignant because Jesus had not kept their Sabbath regulations by performing this healing. So the synagogue official spoke to the crowd, Look, there are six other days when it's appropriate to get work done, he said. Come on, come on on those days to be healed, but not on the Sabbath. And Jesus looked at them and he said, You religious leaders, you are such hypocrites. Every single one of you unties his ox or donkey from its manger every single Sabbath day, and then you lead it out to get a drink of water, right? Do you care more about your farm animals than you care about this woman, one of Abraham's daughters oppressed by Satan for 18 years? Can't we untie her? From her oppression on the Sabbath, as the impact of Jesus' words settled in, his critics were humiliated. But everyone else loved what Jesus said and celebrated everything that he was doing. Then Jesus explained, Do you want to understand the kingdom of God? Do you want me to tell you what it's like? It's like a single mustard seed that someone took and planted in his garden. That tiny seed grew and became a tree so large that the birds could fly in it and make their nests in its branches. Do you want me to tell you what the kingdom of God is like? It's like some yeast, which a woman hid in a large quantity of flour, and soon the whole batch of dough was rising. May God bless the wording of his reading, uh, the reading of his word rather this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you bless the reading of your word. We need your word so much, and you love to speak to us from it. So I ask this morning that you would diminish me, clean up anything in me that's not of you, so that you can use me as a vessel, vessel to speak your word. Keep me behind the cross, God. That we would see you. That we would hear from you. And worship you, be convicted, be challenged, be comforted. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been looking at a a passage of scripture from Luke's gospel as well, but it's been uh, from chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. On the front of your bulletins, uh, Jesus was in the synagogue and he read the prophecy from Isaiah, but he said that the prophecy that he was reading from scripture was being fulfilled. 
It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And after Jesus read that scripture in the synagogue that morning, he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant. And he said, the scripture that you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus was saying God's promise of sending a Messiah is here. I am here in your presence this very day. So two weeks ago, we talked about that good news and the captives being set free. And we read about a paralyzed man who was brought to Jesus for healing. But before Jesus healed the man, he said to him, your sins are forgiven. And we said how Jesus knew that for that man, even more important than being able to walk, he needed to be made right with God. So Jesus brought release for the captive healing him first spiritually, and then the miracle of physical healing. And then last week, we looked at the miracle of, of restoring sight to a blind man, a man who had been blind from birth. The blind shall see, Jesus said. And we were reminded that sometimes we think we can see, we think we have the answers, we think we can interpret scripture and we're doing all the right things, but maybe sometimes God wants to open our eyes in new ways. And today we are looking at the oppressed being set free. Next Sunday, just to give you that uh, glimpse into next Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, Terry Smith is going to be here from Canadian Baptist Ministries. He's going to be speaking on the last line of that scripture, the time of the Lord's favor has come. And when I mentioned that we were doing this series, he said, yes, that very verse and that line has been on his heart. So I find that exciting. He also sent another passage of scripture, and he had me laughing in my office, and he says he plans to speak from God's word out of it. But have some fun as well. So that's all I'm going to tell you this morning. And as I mentioned too, next week, uh, Groundswell will be here and giving us an update. And we want to bless them and release them out to God's kingdom work. So this week, the oppressed set free. And this morning, we have read about a woman being healed. She had been hunched over for some 18 years. Some translations say she was bent double. But I'd like to give you a little bit of background to this. Jesus is in the synagogue for the last time. There's been so much opposition against him. He's been preaching and teaching and doing miracles. He's been speaking out against hypocrisy. He's been criticizing religious leaders. He's been calling people to repentance, and he's been warning the people. He doesn't take any of this lightly, and as, as Luke at, uh, opens the chapter that we have uh, this healing in, it's chapter 13, Jesus says, repent of your sins, turn to God, or you will perish. And he tells there a story about a, a fig tree, it's a parable, and a parable is a story with a lesson for us, how after three years that tree was not bearing any figs. And after three years of the owner watching and waiting and being disappointed, he finally goes to his gardener and he says, cut it down. And in the New Living Testament, he says it's just taking up space in the garden. But the gardener says, would you just give it one more chance? 
Would you let me give it nourishment and attention and plenty of fertilizer for one year? And after one year, if there are figs, great. If not, then I'll cut it down. A story of warning about a God who is so patient, so patient with us today. But may we hear Jesus' words, be careful. We don't know what today could bring. We don't know when our last day could be, when the time is almost up. We are being called to Jesus Christ and to bear fruit and to be who God is looking for us to be. So this morning, as I mentioned, we have Jesus in the synagogue. That would have been his church of that day. He's preaching to those who know scripture, who are supposedly following God. And there's a woman there, and she's bent double, and she has been for 18 years. And I picture her so hunched over, so always having to look down, trying to get her face up once in a while to see, but so hunched over that she's staring down at the ground or the floor all the time. And I knew a woman very much like that, a wonderful woman, such a beautiful Christian who served the Lord so faithfully, and it was hard to see her so bent over. So a real person immediately comes to my mind. And we need to remember that this was a real person standing in front of Jesus Christ on that Sabbath. And some of the translations refer to it as an evil spirit. And I've mentioned the last couple of weeks how in that day they felt that whenever anybody was ill there had to be sin in that life. And they often attributed sickness to evil spirits as well. And in the voice translation that I read from, it said that this woman was sick and weak and hunched over, a spirit of weakness. And commentary suggests that there really was no explanation given. It might even have been psychological, emotional problems that had her bent over. We don't know. But in the New Living Translation, it says that Jesus calls her over, and he says, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. And then he places his hand on her and she is healed. And suddenly and instantly and immediately she stands up straight and she praises God. We can't imagine the praise in that woman's heart. I often think about the blind man Bartimaeus who had been blind and Jesus calls him over and heals his sight. And the very first thing that that blind man sees is the face of Jesus Christ. And now we have this woman so bent over, and she's healed, and she stands up straight, and she comes face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder she praised. But in our story this morning, not everyone was praising God. We have a leader in charge of the synagogue, in charge of the church that day, a synagogue official, as it says in some translations. And here we go again. A leader saying, Jesus, you can't do that. He doesn't even have the courage to say it directly to Jesus. He says it out to the crowd. And he yells it out, and he says, not on the Sabbath. There are six days for doing this kind of thing. So any of you that want to be healed, come back tomorrow or come back the next day. And I'm sure each of us, or maybe we've taken someone to a walk-in clinic or to an emergency room, and we've had to wait. I know someone who went into Kentville very recently, and she had to wait for three and a half hours to get in. 
There was a walk-in clinic in the emergency in Halifax. I understand there's a wait of some 12 hours. And still people wait because they need help. So no, they're not coming back tomorrow. And Jesus' reaction is strong. And he says, you're such hypocrites. And Jesus is like the owner of the fig tree. And his patience is running thin here. And he reminds them how that they are so willing to untie their animals and their oxen and their donkeys on the Sabbath and lead them out to get a drink of water, but they won't let this woman be released. I like to peel it back a little bit, look at the characters in the story as we often do, and I'd like us to put ourselves into it and maybe see who we might be in the story as well. So we have, first of all, the woman. She is weak. She's hunched over. She's not able to stand up straight. I have been very privileged to hear some of your stories. And I know that there are people here this morning who may be feeling like that. And you feel bent over emotionally, spiritually, the cares of this world, worries and fears. How many of our churches feel like that? We have our churches right here in our Atlantic provinces, and they'll gather together at Oasis, and many of them are coming tired and discouraged and broken. Do we ever feel like that here at Emmanuel? Jesus wants to speak healing. He wants to touch our lives. But what about that synagogue official? He's the second character, the leader in charge of the church of that day. And he yelled out to a crowd and said, come on back another day. No healing here today. Today is the Sabbath. We've talked a lot about the opposition that Jesus faced about the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath. I'd like to park here for just a moment on that issue. Because I'm wondering what Jesus would say to us today about the Sabbath. How often do we really think about it? And I'm going to leave it with you for a final decision. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath today? It's one of the Ten Commandments, way back in the Old Testament, given to Moses. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Work for six days, rest on the seventh. But some people say, well, that's just being legalistic, the way the Pharisees were. And it's out of the Old Testament, not from Jesus' teachings. The voice translation says that Jesus was in the synagogue that day on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest, it says. Is it just for the Jewish people before Jesus' time? Not for today, for us. And commentaries do say that Jesus never taught that we were to keep the Sabbath, that it's not in Paul's letters, it's not in the other books of our New Testament. And yet there was a man who came to Jesus. He wanted to know how he could receive eternal life. And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And the man said, well, which ones? And Jesus named some of them. But he didn't name the Sabbath. And yet I think every one of us would agree how much we need rest. Surely the Sabbath was given to us for a reason. We need at least a day of rest, especially pastors are being asked to take that day. And I remember when we were over in Japan, and it was before the Sunday shopping in Canada, and every day was the same. The Sabbath was the same as every other day. And to me, it was just awful because I wasn't used to it. And all seven days ran together. Now it's out there. It's all around us. 
But I go back to my youth and I remember how strict it used to be and we were not even allowed to put a board game on the table on the Sabbath. And I was an adult. I'm not sure if my daughter had been born or not, but I was visiting my parents and my aunt was there and I picked up my knitting and she grabbed my arm and she said, what are you doing? This is Sunday. <laughs> As a pastor, before I came here, I haven't heard it much up here, but I've heard it a lot, a lot in the valley. And people who had to work, shift work, in the stores on a Sunday were actually coming to me and saying, Thelma, I'm seeing your church people and your church leaders in the store on Sunday buying things they could buy any other day of the week. Is it damaging a witness when people see us not keeping Sabbath? So that's my spiel. What would Jesus say to us today? And I have to leave that thought with you. But I'm convinced in our story this morning that the Sabbath was not the whole issue at all. Jesus looked at that synagogue official and at the others and he called them hypocrites. And why did he do that? Because they had double standards. They had two sets of rules in many areas, but in this instance around the Sabbath. And they had all these rules about the Sabbath and they had put in there that they could untie their animals on the Sabbath, but they were accusing Jesus of helping a woman and setting her free. How did they get to that? Yes, he was addressing religious leaders, but I think we really have to hear this for ourselves as well because we are followers of Jesus. I'm sure they started out genuine in their faith, sincere, and now they've come to that place where Jesus recognizes them and calls them hypocrites, perhaps for many reasons, but I'd like to look at two this morning that have come out of this teaching. The rabbis, the religious leaders, had absolutely no tolerance for cruelty for animals, neither do I. I'm an animal lover. But they had built it into their laws that even on the Sabbath, the hundreds of laws connected to what and what they could not do, it was perfectly okay to loose their animals from their stalls, take them out and water them. But there were no laws in all of those laws about the Sabbath to help people release them from oppression. And out of that, I'd like to take a moment. I'm going to park on something else again this morning, a couple of rabbit trails. First that Sabbath thing, but now this morning, what, what do our laws of our country have to do with us as Christians? And what do we as Christians have to do with the laws of our country? And this comes to my mind often. Because I think it's all about our passion for people, and that's what I'd like us to hear from this morning's message, passion for people. You know, there are countries where a person has no importance at all. A person is just a statistic, dispensable. And I know, and I need to say up front here this morning, that terrible atrocities have been done by Canadians and North Americans and in the name of the church. And we think of the crusades and racism and abuse at the hands of church leaders and the residential schools. But those atrocities are not Christian. But our laws in Canada have been based on Christian beliefs. That's how they were founded. And I get concerned about us not being a Christian country and what that might be, mean for the treatment of people and compassion for people. 
I'm starting to realize I have to put aside my commentaries on William Barclay. I've used him quite a bit in the last two or three weeks. But I do want to quote him twice this morning. And he confirmed my thinking on this. And I'm, uh, again, a quote from him. It is true to say that without Christianity, there can be no such thing as democracy because Christianity alone guarantees and defends the value of the ordinary individual man and woman. If ever Christian principles are banished from political and economic life, there is nothing to keep it at bay the state where individuals get lost in the system and exist not for their own sake, but only for the sake of that system. End of quote. And I know we can debate this morning whether or not capital punishment should have been banned here in Canada, but I don't know if you read or heard this very week in Saudi Arabia. It was a man in Mecca, and he was found guilty of murder and of theft and of attempted rape, and that man was crucified. He was crucified. The Pharisees had lost all compassion for people. So they oppressed the people terribly, and they crucified Jesus. Am I overreacting that we as Christians must return to caring about the person as Jesus cared for people? And that we need to stand up and protect Christianity in our country of Canada. And then number two, your compassion for people and how they had gone from being genuine and sincere in their faith to being hypocrites. The second reason is that the Pharisees had come to focus so much on their laws and on the religious systems. Again, is it happening to us? Barclay addresses this as well, that it's happening in our churches today. And again, I'm going to quote him, because this is a hard quote, and I'm going to let him take the blame. I'm not going to take the heat on it. Strangely enough, Barclay says, this worship of systems commonly invades the church. There are many church people, and he says it would be a mistake to call them Christian people, there are many church people who are more concerned with the method of church government than they are with the worship of God and the service of others. It is all too tragically true that more trouble and strife arise in churches over legalistic details of procedure than any other thing. What an ouch that is, end of quote. But is it not true? And all of our commentaries made the connection that if anybody needed the Sabbath, if anybody needed Sabbath rest and Sabbath peace, as God intended Sabbath rest and Sabbath peace, it was that woman that Jesus healed. And she was being denied that by religious people. Do we make any connection? Jesus had no time for hypocrites who cared more about their animals, and again, we need to care about our animals, but cared more about them and cared more about their laws and their systems than they did about this woman, this human being. Jesus was not going to ask her to come back another day. He was not going to extend her suffering even another moment. 
Can we hear Jesus speak to us? As he got frustrated with the religious people of that day, can he accuse us of twisting scripture to protect our own interests, of idolizing our systems, of forgetting that Jesus said we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another as he has loved us? Well, that's where this morning's teaching is taking a detour. I really thought that I was going to be talking about that and talking about Jesus' words, uh, his healing, his rebuke of the religious leaders, and we would stop there at verse 17. Not so. Every one of the commentaries just continued on with the lesson. Verse 18, then Jesus said. And in some of the translations it says, therefore, Jesus said. And whenever you say, see therefore in scripture, have a look to see what it's there for. <laughs> Jesus had just rebuked the hypocrisy. He had just talked about the way it's not supposed to be. And now he talks about the way it's supposed to be. And he describes the kingdom of God, living life with and for God, as kingdom activity, that's a phrase that was used in one, of the, in one of the commentaries. I like the term kingdom activity, what the kingdom of God is like. So first Jesus talks about the mustard seed. And in the Middle East, the mustard seed does not grow to be um, just a, a small herb as we might have it, but it was a, a plant that could grow so large it could become a tree actually, seven or eight feet high. And it would not be uncommon for a cloud of birds to come into its branches because they absolutely loved those mustard seeds. Matthew includes this teaching in his gospel, but here we have Mark just opening it wide open with that cloud of birds. And it's like Luke is dreaming of a world for Christ, a vast empire, people and nations coming together, finding shelter under the protection of God. And then Jesus uses another example, a similar lesson, but it's about bread dough. And as I was getting ready to teach this, I thought, I wonder how many people today really know about making bread and putting yeast into bread. Preaching has changed over the years. So many of us just go in and buy a loaf of bread. But to make bread, you have to put yeast in with the other ingredients, and that's what makes it rise. And for Jesus, when he was a young boy, he would have seen his mother actually keep a little piece of the dough out and put it aside to ferment, and then she would use it into another uh, batch of bread. But the way it works, you put the yeast in, and that little bit of yeast with a large quantity, Luke says, of other ingredients. And if you're not watching it, it can rise and rise and rise. Have you ever had it happen? Those of you who have made bread and it goes right out over to the counter because you, yeah, I see nods. I've done it. Yes. Yeast works and it just makes that dough get bigger and bigger. Jesus says that's kingdom activity and I love that. But so often we think, Jesus, I can't do that. That's kingdom activity. I'm just a person. But Jesus is saying one act, one showing of compassion, one sharing of the love of Jesus Christ, and there's no telling what that can become. Jesus healed one woman in one synagogue on one Sabbath that day, and he rebuked the religious leaders in one synagogue on that one Sabbath. And we are still learning 
from that event today. The wonderful thing, it's like the mustard seed. For any of you who have planted seeds this year and you've seen vegetables and flowers, we plant the seed and we nourish the soil and we take such good care of it, but we cannot do a thing beyond that. We cannot make a seed become a vegetable or a flower or a tree. Any kingdom activity that we do in the name of Jesus to the glory of God, God makes it happen. God makes it grow. And like the yeast in the dough, we can put together all the ingredients, and it has to be at the right temperature, and we can do all those things just right. But any kingdom activity we do in the name of Jesus to the glory of God, we can't make that bread rise. We can't do the activity without God making it happen, God making it grow. And once again, it was in all the commentaries. Just as Jesus faced criticism and opposition, we face warfare when we do kingdom activity. But each and every time God is able to use us and we take victory over temptation, over the warfare that faces us and we keep on going, it's a victory for God's kingdom. And I love that. And I find that exciting. When we persevere, when we trust God to use us for the smallest of things, it's a victory against the warfare and a victory for God's kingdom. You know, there are so many people oppressed around us. There are many people here this morning that may be feeling oppressed amongst us. Will we plant a tiny seed of kindness and compassion in this place? and see Emmanuel become a place of protection and safety? Will we bring the yeast, the leaven of love, and let it permeate the whole world where we worship and where we live? That's kingdom activity. Jesus wants us to bring the good news now, to bring release for captives, to help the blind see, to help, the, help set the oppressed free one kingdom activity at a time in his name, doing our part and letting God work, work his permeating, transforming power of the kingdom. Let's pray. God, we have sung it. Your name is so beautiful. Your name is so powerful. Help us to hear that again this morning. Help us to hear your love of us. We are your beloved and how much you love each person. Help us to have compassion for others. And help us to do kingdom work, kingdom activities, just one at a time, putting those into your hands, knowing that, God, you can just make them so large. We thank you this morning for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.